This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. to today's episode of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Jill, y'all. <clears throat> um, on today's episode, we have an interview with Eliza Reed, First Lady of Iceland. Fun. It's so fun. She has a new book coming out <clears throat> called Secrets of the Sprekar, Um which is all about, you know, Iceland as a country is known for being fairly progressive when it comes to gender equality and gender politics. And so Eliza, who was not born in Iceland, she is Canadian um, and came to Iceland, you know, due to her um, relationship with her husband, who is now president of Iceland. And so Eliza talks about, you know, some of the um, amazing women that Iceland has produced. Um, she has contemporary women, ones that she, she talks to, I think um, it was like 40 women she talked to for the book about their experiences in politics and corporate life, um, relationships, all of that. And she also has these little vignettes of historical women from Iceland's history um, it kind of made me want to move to Iceland. Not gonna lie. Not gonna lie. Um, <laughs> which I told her. <laughs> also, I discovered that Eliza, first lady of Iceland, is a big fan of the Libby app. So if you do not get books on your um device through the Libby app from your library, you should be cool like Eliza, first lady of Iceland, and do that. Uh, this was a delightful interview. She was so much fun to talk to. Also, she's the first lady of Iceland. I mean, you know, how often does one get to talk to, like, a fancy person of that level, you know? So, that is, that is what today's episode is all about. Eliza Reed and her book, Secrets of the Sprakar. If you want to get a hold of the podcast, you can go to our website, professionalbooknerds.com. We are on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at ProBookNerds. You can always email us at ProfessionalBookNerds at Overdrive.com. So that's what I got for you today. Good times. Again, the book is so much fun. You learn a lot about Iceland. In the interview, she talks about how Iceland, because the population is so small, um, they often use per capita statistics. Um, And you learn a lot about Iceland in the book in terms of just like the culture, the society, it's history. You learn some fun idioms, which I also mentioned in the interview. Um, so I hope you enjoy this interview I did with Eliza Reed on the Professional Book Nerds podcast. Well, Eliza, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. My pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. So can you give our listeners a brief introduction to your book, Secrets of the Sprakar? 
Yes, I can. So Secrets of the Sprakar is a story about how the extraordinary women of Iceland are changing the world by bringing gender equality within reach. And Sprakar is a very old Icelandic word, a very obscure word that means outstanding or extraordinary women. So I thought it fit very well. And the book is really a series of interviews with about 40 women from around Iceland, some individually and some in groups, to talk about different aspects of society in this country uh, and to show what we're doing here um, with regards to gender equality. And the reason that I'm talking about Iceland, well, one is because I have lived here for 18 years, but the second reason is that Iceland has topped the World Economic Forum's Global Gender Gap Index for the past 12 years. So while that does not mean that we are perfect in this field, I think it does indicate that we're somehow doing some things right. And I wanted to kind of, I wanted to profile really what that was to provide a bit of inspiration for people other places and and just to to talk about gender equality in hopefully a fun and interesting way, not in a in a dry um, academic way. Right. And no, it's definitely a it's a it's a fun, informative read. I liked the way you have it sort of broken out by, you know, you have like um, talking about women in corporate entities. You, you talk about a lot of um, uh, sexuality related things. And I, I won't lie. It kind of made me want to move to Iceland. <laughs> <laughs> the Icelandic tourist board had no impact on the making of this book. I will say, <laughs> but I don't think I, I, uh, I don't think I'm alone because it sounds like Iceland actually has a, a, a big immigrant population of people who have moved there, not born there like yourself. Yeah. And I think that's maybe something that people don't think about Iceland when, when people do uh, spend any time thinking about Iceland, uh, I, I don't know that they realize that that our population is more diverse than uh, people often have the impression of. Where over fifteen percent of the population here is foreign-born, and that has changed dramatically in the last uh, twenty-five years. So it used to be about one percent of the population. It's been a huge difference, and obviously the fact that I was raised in Canada and moved to Iceland as an adult that that has has sort of uh, I, I'm, I'm writing the book with an immigrant's lens on, of course, because that's that's how I see and experience the country. For sure. Um, and also Iceland's population, which the amount of foreign born that you have, um, the, the population's not that big in Iceland. I think you even, I will say, as I was reading it, you had a line about how the population is smaller than Cleveland, Ohio, which as someone who lives in Cleveland, I was like, well, that was unexpected. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it is maybe smaller. And I remember, you know, when I first heard about Iceland, I just assumed that it had the same population as the other Nordic countries, roughly. And uh, that that is incorrect. It's it's very, very small. It's 350,000 people. And uh, that means that we like to use a lot of per capita statistics. Um, it makes us seem a little more significant. Um, but you know, there's advantages and disadvantages to being small. And one of the advantages is that when you want to make large changes in society, like say, you know, achieving more gender parity, it's a little bit easier because it's like turning a big tanker ship around. Um, it's a smaller, it's a slightly smaller ship and, and can be done more easily. Um, and it's really easy to, you know, to, to get some things done because you always know somebody that needs to call to have various issues sort of <laughs> 
One thing I loved about this book is that in addition to the 40 women that you talked to, you also include some Icelandic historical figures as well, which was very informative. How did you decide what women from Iceland's past to include? That's a really good question. And thank you. Um, I I didn't want to write a a history of Iceland, but the fact that we have strong women in the history, I think has been important because we all know how important role models are in the fight for gender equality. And we can see strong female role models back the time of the Icelandic sagas, which were written almost a thousand years ago. So I wanted to incorporate that somehow without providing a kind of lecture on Icelandic history. And and as you say, I have four little uh, vignettes, I suppose, in between chapters that talk about women in Icelandic history. And and I did have to choose them. I mean, I could have chosen different ones, but I tried to choose examples from different periods of time in Icelandic history. And um, and that kind of reflected some of the themes I was discussing. So I talk about um, Olaf the Rich, a woman who lived in the Middle Ages. And after I talk about her, this uh, rich woman who avenged her husband's death, then I talk about uh, corporate Iceland today and and how uh, the fact that men are controlling a lot of the venture capitalist funds, et cetera, has an impact on gender equality. So I kind of try to tie it in. And then of course, later, when I talk about more modern situations, uh, the fact that Iceland had the world's first democratically elected female head of state, uh, Vigdís Finnbogadóttir, who was elected president in 1980, uh, because that is recent history for us, that is something that has been incredibly important to gender equality because Vigdis, we're all on a first name basis here in Iceland. Sure. <laughs> um, Vigdis is uh, still alive and well. She's almost 92 years old. And a lot of people, people of my generation who grew up in Iceland, they grew up for 16 years with a female president and a female head of state. And that was completely normal to them. So uh, that is, you know, that kind of story I had to include Vigdis's story because it's, it's very important in the story of gender equality in Iceland. Yeah. And in addition to having those vignettes sort of start, um, Uh, sort of lead into different chapters and and things. We also learned some very delightful Icelandic idioms, (laughs) which which were just so fun. (laughs) And those also, yeah, like, I think, you know, there's the one that is like blind is the bookless man. You have them in English and then you have the uh, the Icelandic um, spelling, I suppose, um, as a footnote. And they were, those were a lot of fun to read too. And, And I think that's what I like about the book is that it's, it's informative, it's, but in a way that is fun and interesting to read. Thank you very much. Well, I hope, you know, I wanted to introduce people to Iceland overall. And I say in the introduction, it's kind of my love letter to Iceland, which it is. Um, And I often say in speeches here that because I wasn't an Icelander out of some genetic twist of fate and born here, I actually had to choose to move to the country and, and, and settle here and make my life here, that that kind of gives me a bit more space to um, to brag about the country and about the fact that, that I'm Icelandic. So, so introducing things like these phrases um, is just sort of extra quirky information that I hope people find interesting. And, and I hope that the tone of the book um, as a friend of mine said, is is almost like sitting down and having a cup of coffee with me, um, sort of anecdotal and and funny and and relatable. And and the women that I talked to, I tried to be as diverse as I could in terms of their stories and backgrounds and experiences, 
it just to show that, you know, achieving gender equality isn't something that we need to leave uh, exclusively to elected officials to do, to other people to do, that we all have a role to play here, that it's going to have an impact on all of us, and that we can all be role models, and we all have voices that we can raise up and, and support each other with. Absolutely. And I do like that description of it as just sort of like sitting down and having a conversation with you, because that is what it felt like. Um, You know, you did mention when you were sort of describing the book that Iceland is not like perfect when it comes to gender equality. And you talk about at one point um, how you received the Order of the Falcon just by being wife of the president. And with Mm -hmm. it came some assumptions about what a usually female partner of a head of state, what they should do or how they should behave. And so it was interesting, like even in a a country as progressive as Iceland, there are these like expectations placed on the wife of a male president. I think you Mm -hmm. put it like this expected, like expected to just be like a genteel sidekick, essentially. The sort of seen and not heard idea or, you know, I'm written first about what I'm wearing or um assumptions that maybe I would be accompanying my husband to various events even though I hadn't been invited I, they had invited the president and then said oh where, where's your wife when you show up here um which you know in, in the grand scheme of things these are small things but I I think I I think I wrote it something like you know the culling of your identity by a thousand paper cuts yeah. um and and still in in 2022 or you know 2021 when this is written just the fact that as you said, these assumptions are still being made and that uh, that was something that I wanted to examine as well with this book, because I think that it, while admittedly, maybe uh, just statistically, not that many people end up married to a head of state, a great many people often have a partner who for some reason or other is better known than they are. And they often end up becoming known primarily as that person's spouse or partner, which somehow diminishes their identity in some way. Although obviously I'm incredibly proud to be married to my husband and I'm proud of what he's achieved. Uh, I, I think he is probably equally proud of me. For sure. And I, I did like how, you know, you share very, you share about your love story, which was a lot of fun <laughs> to read about in the book as well. You know, it's, I think it goes back to that idea of it just sort of being a, a conversation with you. Like there were some very sweet moments between the two of you that, that well, were shared you. in the book. <laughs> thank you very much. Well, there's a funny, you know, I grew up on a hobby farm in rural Canada and then I ended up married to the head of state and it's not something that I ever thought was going to happen in my life. And, you know, all you can do sometimes is laugh really and, and yeah. laugh and, you know, make the most of the unexpected opportunity. Um, I'm, I'm so incredibly fortunate to be in this position. And so an issue like gender equality is, is very important to me. And when I was first serving in the role of first lady, I thought, well, I can't really talk about this because I only have this platform because of something my husband's achieved. So that's, I really shouldn't do that. And then I thought, well, you know, in life, we get given these opportunities for whatever reason. Um, and as long as we haven't got the opportunities, you know, from nefarious reasons, then we might as well make the most of them. And, and, you know, this is my chance, maybe when people are listening a little bit more and that's when I wanted to speak out, but that's also why I wanted to hopefully be able to elevate and share the stories of so many women in this book as well, because, you know, we all have unique stories to tell and the more diversity we can showcase in terms of people's experiences, the more helpful and relevant it's going to be going forward. And now we'll take a quick break for a word from this week's sponsor. 
has this ever happened to you? You need to see a doctor like me right now, sounding like this. But you search and you find one that looks good. You wait on hold to book an appointment. You rearrange your whole schedule. Maybe you have to take off work. And when you finally go in, you find out that doctor doesn't even take your insurance. But there is a solution. Just download the free ZocDoc app. It's just the easiest way to find a great doctor and instantly book an appointment. With ZocDoc, you can search for local doctors who take your insurance, read verified patient reviews, and book an appointment in person or video chat. Never wait on hold with a receptionist again. Whether you need a primary care physician, dentist, dermatologist, psychiatrist, eye doctor, or other specialist, ZocDoc has you covered. ZocDoc makes healthcare easy. Now is the time to prioritize your health. Go to ZocDoc.com slash ProBookNerds and download the ZocDoc app to sign up for free and book a top-rated doctor. Many are available as soon as today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash ProBookNerds. You talked about the per capita stats and how that's sort of how Iceland um, tracks things, I suppose. And one of the things that gets talked about is how reports of sexual assault are comparatively higher in Iceland and other Nordic countries. And I've, I've have a friend who lived in Sweden for a long time and heard similar things. And what's always been interesting to me is that it's never clear. And you talk about this. It's never clear if it's because there actually are more incidents of sexual assault or if there's more faith in the system in those countries, because there's not a lot of faith in the system here in the United States when it comes to reporting or anything coming from reporting sexual assault. Exactly. And and I think that that's something very important to come forward. But, you know, any instances of gender-based violence or sexual assault or domestic violence is too many, obviously. We want to get those numbers down to zero. Um, and those numbers have increased during the pandemic, as we have seen around the world. But what you were describing there as well is kind of known in this, as this Nordic paradox, that um, countries that we see as being leaders in gender equality are reporting higher numbers of these types of cases. And like you say, we don't know if that is because there are actually more cases or if it's the fact that there is more trust uh, with the, the public authorities, that people feel they can come forward, that there is less stigma around the association of, of um, sexual violence, gender, gender-based violence, so people feel that they can talk about it, or even if the definition of what constitutes gender-based violence is, is broader. And, and hopefully all of that's there. Um, but, you know, I actually only have it as a footnote in the book because it was just developing when I was writing it. But there's a, a group of women who have actually uh, are suing the government of Iceland at the European Court of Human Rights right now because they feel that their cases in, in subjects related to this weren't being taken seriously by the authorities, um, weren't being evaluated properly. And again, that both shows that, you know, this isn't a gender paradise here, um, but it maybe also shows that, you know, I think it's very important that we um, that we are able to hold governments to account, even governments that I think want to be improving in this field. Um, and as you say, yes, I think statistics will show that there is higher levels of trust and authorities here, but there's still a great number of people who are very, very cynical about how much help authorities can provide to them in these situations. For sure. <clears throat> um, I was wondering if you could take a few minutes, you know, you, you are the first lady of Iceland. That's sort of 
your role, but you also have the Iceland Writers Retreat, which mm-hmm. is sort of, it sounds like a big passion project for you. Can you talk a little bit about that and just let listeners know what that's all about? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I look, I guess, as the being first lady as my volunteer job and the Iceland Writers Retreat is <laughs> my job job. There you go. <laughs> um, although, uh, you know, the amount of time devoted to one of the other alternates. Um, you're right. The, the Iceland Writers Retreat is my professional baby that um, I founded with a friend of mine, Erica Jacobs Green, in, in 2013. And Iceland is a wonderful book loving nation. Again, per capita statistics, we have some of the highest book publishing, book buying, book reading rates around the world, including uh, taking books out of libraries. And um, and we wanted to introduce that culture to visitors to the country. So we created this annual event called the Iceland Writers Retreat, which uh, in, in teaches people about Iceland's rich literary heritage through all kinds of Uh, bespoke tours that we do in Icelandic nature that are led by writers and we have extra readings and then we bring over well-known authors from around the world who teach writing workshops small group on the craft of writing so we've had Adam Gopnik and Ruth Reichel and Barbara Kingsolver and Susan Arlene and and you know they come over and they teach with 10 or 12 other people um, a class on developing character And so it's kind of like if you like cooking and you might go to Thailand for a week and take a cooking class. And this is a writing class. And we've been growing it all the time. So actually, in April this year, we are having concurrently for the first time an event called the Iceland Readers Retreat. And that is obviously for people who maybe love books, but aren't necessarily interested in developing the craft of writing. And and, uh, those people will have additional lectures uh, and meet uh, extra authors and they'll go and see some of the Icelandic saga manuscripts and have an extra tour. So it's, it's really kind of book focused tourism and we have a lot of fun organizing it and planning it. Um, that sounds like so much fun. <laughs> it is. I'm a little biased, but I think it is. So much fun. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, do you have to be a slight as Icelandic to like go to this? Like, can you totally like- do not. Actually, most of our participants come from the United States. About fifty percent. We're pretty international, but our biggest group of people is from the U.S. And that's one of the things we try to emphasize: is it's really for anybody who wants to attend. So you don't have to. The writers don't have to audition or or send in uh, yeah. manuscripts. And we really get people you know, people who are full-time writers, we get people who just kind of like have a diary and they just want to tinker, they're working on their own home project or whatever. And, and somehow it works because you're in a kind of new environment and inspirational environment. And um, we kind of, we try to reflect sort of the values of Iceland, like we're really egalitarian. So we bring over these writers who are really famous, but then they're sitting next to you at lunch or they're all next to yeah. on the tour bus as we go on the, on the tour. They're not kind of shuttled off to some private green, green room or something like that. So um, yeah, we have, we have a lot of fun with it. So end of April, April 27th to May 1st, if I'm allowed to give a little plug for it on this podcast, yes, please. Cause I'm like, what's my schedule? Like, I mean, I know we, I'm pretty sure we have direct flights from Cleveland. So I might have to make this happen. There you go. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> so what advice would you give to people listening who want to know how they can possibly start making some changes to gender equality in, you know, their own, countries or cities or states? Mm -hmm. Well, I think, you know, I mean, gender equality, it's one of these huge things. It's a bit like the climate crisis. You know, sometimes if I'm kind of staying awake at light night, worrying about something and I think, well, I'm one individual, I can't make possibly make a difference. And that it just kind of, it freezes you with this indecision. 
And I find like gender equality is a bit like that. And so if there's one thing that I hope that this book does, it's that kind of inspires people to know that we can all do something in this. Not only can we all do something, but that's going to be to the benefit of people of all genders. This isn't like an us versus them issue. This is just elevating everyone, um, making societies and, and our environments and our communities better for everyone. And, and I hope that this kind of book shows how at least serves as an example is how the women here really how they're bringing equality within reach, even though these aren't women who necessarily would say, you know, my be all and end all is, is fighting for gender equality, not at all, but they are elevating each other's voices. They are participating in, in sports and arts and culture on a sort of egalitarian basis. They are um, showcasing diversity of, of all varieties. They're trying to invest in, in uh, diverse companies and in diverse people. And I think, you know, hopefully this just shows and serves as some inspiration that we can all be doing things with a sort of gender equality lens. You know, while, while it's great and helpful, for instance, that here in Iceland, we've got wonderful parental leave and really heavily subsidized childcare, and those are important, um, that's not the be all and end all. And we can, you know, be role models, we can elevate each other's voices, we can try not to leave any groups behind, uh, we can kind of just push our own comfort zones. So this has been so much fun to talk to you. I just have one question left, which is what do you hope readers take away from reading Secrets of the Sprakar? I guess that's probably what I hope people take away from it. That yeah. I hope that people are inspired and optimistic and, and this feeling that we can all play a part in, in this debate to everyone's benefit. Awesome. Eliza, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and chatting with me. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Jill. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode on Overdrive.com and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen Podcasts, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Jill Grunenwald and presented by Overdrive. To learn more, visit professionalbooknerds.com. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far? in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon.